Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to read the whole chapter just because that's my prerogative. So uh, we're going to read through this. Uh, we only have time just to make a couple of uh, statements as we go through. But I do want us, as we bring this book to a close, to note a couple of things that were in the author's heart. The title for the message is, The End is Near, That's Scratched Out, It's Here. We've been in Hebrews for a while we're at the end of the book, but I really believe that what it's calling, to, uh, calling out to us to do is to start a journey with fresh eyes. So we might be at the end of the book, but we're called to walk out our faith in a significant way uh, and pay attention to the fruit of our faith, the direction of our faith, the connection that we have with each other. And he reminds us of all of those things in this final chapter. So let's stand together and read. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through the end. The scripture says this, let brotherly love continue. Don't neglect to show hospitality, for by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. Remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them, and the mistreated as though you yourselves were suffering bodily. Marriage is to be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept undefiled because God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Therefore, we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you as you carefully observe the outcome of their lives. Imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't be led astray by various kinds of strange teachings, for it's good for the heart to be established by grace and not by food regulations, since those who observe them have not been benefited. We have an altar from which those who worship at the tabernacle don't have the right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the most holy place by the high priest as a sin offering are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the gate so that he might sanctify the people of his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp bearing his disgrace. For we do not have an enduring city here. Amen. Instead, we seek the one to come. Therefore, through him, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. That is, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Don't neglect to do what is good and to share. For God is pleased with such sacrifices. Obey your leaders, submit to them, since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account, so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would not be profitable for you. Pray for us, for we are convinced that we have a clear conscience, wanting to conduct ourselves honorably in everything. And I urge you all the more to pray that I might be restored to you very soon. Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you 
with everything good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He closes, postscript, brothers and sisters, I urge you to receive this message of exhortation, for I've written to you briefly, he says. Be aware that your brother Timothy has been released. If he comes soon enough, he'll be with me when I see you. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with you all. Do you believe there's an important message even right there? There is. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you even for the way that we can introduce this message by honoring a leader who has been faithful all of these years. Faithful not just to sing your word, but uh, even this week, uh, even this morning, called up yesterday uh, to make an emergency appearance, uh, hungry to serve you, loving, uh, being faithful to you and taking care of your people. Father, I pray that that's how you would find us. Uh, as uh, servants, as the community, Father, that we would be passionate about our walk with you, that we would love the opportunity to put our gifts on display, gifts that are from you. Father, we pray that you would help us to hear these words and follow them. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, um, we took a few moments at the very beginning uh, we may just run a tiny bit over, so ignore your alarm at the top of the hour. I want us to wrap our minds around these thoughts carefully. There's a few things in here that all week long have jumped off of the page. They literally have penetrated my study time, and, and I've been unable to let them go. I want you to hear them. And they came, instead of in the form of points, it was in the form of questions. As I told you, as I'm reading through scripture at times, I first have it uh, attack me. And these questions fell off the page. They are born from the text, born from points that are right here in front of us. But they're questions uh, that I was forced to deal with. And so I'm going to lay them at your feet. The first question that I see in this passage is this. Do you feel the Lord's presence? Do you feel the Lord's presence? I want you to notice something that happens just as I'm reading this passage. It says, let brotherly love continue. And you're like, yeah, yeah, church, love, Jesus. All those answers always fall out, right? Let brotherly love continue. Sounds mundane. Don't neglect to show hospitality. Well, you're always asking us to open our homes. For by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests. Now he goes on as I'm reading you may have been listening, but I'm going to say that there's a portion of people in here that as soon as you hear the phrase, for by some, by, by entertaining this way, by being hospitable, you have entertained angels unaware, and you're thinking in your mind, angels? I want to see an angel. Has anybody in here ever, in just your quiet time as a believer, you're talking to the Lord. Have you ever wanted just a, a spiritual experience or something significant to happen or some person just to walk by and, and you have this community uh, response because of your faith or you're just like, Lord, I, I would love to meet an angel. Anybody ever want an experience? There's three honest people in here. The rest of you are saying, I'm not gonna be one of those weird people, all right? We're in Salem. It's already weird enough. Let me ask you this honestly in your own heart. Do you want to feel the Lord's presence? 
It says, for by doing what? Hospitality. Notice as it goes through the rest of this. Remember those who are in prison as if uh, you were in prison with them. The mistreated as though you yourself were suffering. The marriage beds to be held in honor. The way that you handle your finances. You need to handle that correctly. Be satisfied with what you have. And literally what that should read is what you have left. Remember the whole portion of scripture that we've been going through is a group of people who have joyfully accepted the confiscation of what is theirs by a government who does not care. And they say, if it's because I'm a believer, so be it. I want to be known as a believer. And they praise God. That's an attitude, isn't it? It's not the attitude we see most of the time because it's filled with grace and with a sense of the sovereignty of God. But these are mundane things. These are simple, everyday things. Keeping house. Just in your own, I want you to write down in there Genesis 18, 1, Judges 13. It says, for by doing so, some have entertained angels without knowing it. And I believe, just like all the rest of the book, that this author is pointing you back to Old Testament reminders. All of these things are coming out of that book of, uh, Judge, of uh, Genesis, Exodus, all the way through the time period of the judges. And you see in those early pages moments where the patriarchs run into an angel. But I want you to notice what they are doing. In Genesis 18.1, Abraham, it says, it's in the heat of the day. So he's living in the south, okay? He's at the door of his tent, hot. He's just sitting there. He's been doing chores, and he sees guys walking in the sweltering heat, and he just says, that's hot. Would you come in here? Just let me give you some water for your feet. Come in and rest in the cool underneath this building. Let me give you a little bread for sustenance. Don't be out there in the heat. And he's hospitable. Where's his wife, Sarah? She's keeping the tent. They're doing chores. When Manoah finds out that he's going to have Samson, his wife has already met the angel. What was she doing? She's keeping house. The second time, when the angel comes back to convince Manoah, hey, Samson is going to be here to set people free, what is she doing? She's in the field. She's picking dinner for that night. Do you want to know when these people ran into angels? When they were doing everyday life. Do you want to know that some of the most significant people in your life, I already know who they are? It's the mom who was reading her Bible in the morning and every single day she took care of house or she took care of you or she fixed that snack or she picked you up and took you to the doctor. She was there at your events at school. It was the dad that stayed faithful. It was the friend who made sure that he walked alongside you in hardship or walked you out of these problems. It was people who were doing everyday life with you faithful, right? Where does God send angels? He sends people who are taking care of the mundane things as if they're the main thing because they are. Do you do the mundane well? When you are going about sweeping, do you know that's a holy task? When you're paying your bills, holy task. When you're having a meal and praying with your family, do you know that that's a holy task? Or are you looking for some other significant moment? No, I'll do something great later. I'm just paying my dues right now. Some have entertained angels unaware. Why were they unaware? Because they're just doing life. They're not expecting anything significant. It's not on their checklist to say, meet an angel today, three o'clock, get the house ready. No, you know what? The angel comes into a mess. 
Dogs are running everywhere. There's hair on the floor. Kids are throwing up someplace, right? <laughs> you don't have time to notice that they're there. That's why you're unaware, because you're taking care of life. I have a picture here of a gal named Katrina Mullen. Pretty interesting story. She's on the far right. Uh, she worked at the NICU. As she was just going about life, she sees this young gal, 14 years old, who comes in there, is pregnant. Doesn't have much family support, is overwhelmed by her life circumstances. And this gal ends up having twins, preemies, that are born all under two pounds. She's in there for six months. On a regular basis, she's just weeping and overwhelmed. Alarms are going off when you have a baby in the NICU already. You're worried about the alarms going off. Imagine that three times over. Not only that, you're 14. 14. She has nobody. And so she just sees this gal, and she just begins to love on her. And she says, hey, when you're hurting, if you're overwhelmed, just give me a phone call. She actually hands out her cell phone number to her. Six months there in the hospital, finally she's released to go home. And from time to time, the gal would call and say, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to feed them. I don't know how to take care of this stuff. She didn't complain about her circumstances. But finally, she decides on a Saturday to go over and visit the home. And she had been told... Uh, by the state, hey, there's a possibility that all of them are going to be separated. We're going to put the mom in a foster care, but also all of the kids separated to different homes. Overwhelming. She goes to the place and she finds the mom sleeping on a couch. She has one bed for all three of the little babies. It's an overwhelming sense of squalor, but also nobody there to support her. So what does Katrina do? Everyday life, Right? She says, why don't you come stay at my place till the state figures it out. The state says, would you do foster care for us? She says, I would love it. This gal moves in with her and her boys. Then eventually, this is the picture of the day that she adopted her and the, and the triplets. Didn't get all of the picture in there, some of the family that uh, could fit into the frame. But here's the idea with Katrina. What she said was this, I'm not doing anything spectacular. We're making sandwiches. We're teaching basic life. She says uh, she is able to take care of all the details. I'm just helping her. I adopted this gal into my family, but she is family indeed. I was impacted by that. Most significant thing she could do is just help her learn how to keep house, how to take the next step forward. She's now graduated from college or uh, going into college to be a social worker to help other people that are single moms like her. Katrina Mullen, what is she doing? Mundane things. The Lord often meets us in the mundane. Do you feel the Lord's presence? You lean on him, don't look for supernatural things. He'll meet you. Second thing I want you to know, this question fell out of this. Is your heart filled with praise? Look at verse 15 here. It says, therefore, through him, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of lips that confess his name. This is a conclusion of a thought that starts in verse 7, where it says, remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you as you fully, carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. Now, the implication is here, the author thinks he's making a complete thought. There's a lot of things that are going on in this. We only have a few moments. But I want you to note the context of this praise that is coming out of the individual. 
Uh, he goes through and he says, right in the very next uh, statement, in fact, some have said this has got to be out of context. Why would they emphasize that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Well, because some of those in verse 7 that he's saying, remember your leaders, he's saying remember them because they've been killed for their faith. For others, remember them because they've just gone through hardship and you've watched their lives. For others, he's saying, remember them because they've been pulled out of your acquaintance or they've been run off. Look at how it is that they are living out their faith in the midst of harshness, in the midst of a sinful generation, and imitate that faith. Now, it has a whole bunch of statements here about don't, don't buy into food regulations. Don't get um, captivated with the idea that you can't go back into the temple. There's um, people that have to go outside. It's all of these uh, illustrations that are here. And, and he uses Old Testament illustrations. I would have you just pay attention. Uh, if you're going to study this, go back to the book of Leviticus and look what would happen at these different offerings. In particular, uh, not just the sin offering, but the peace offering, the fellowship offering. When it talks about eating from an altar, the priest would literally go in and there was a temple of showbread they were supposed to eat before the Lord, a sign that God had provided for all of the needs of Israel. And they were together as they, as they ate that, they would be reminded that God was providential. Even if the world is wonky, God is still in control. Amen? And then what they would do is they would come outside with a fellowship offering or a peace offering there was a portion of that that was set aside for the priests to be able to eat. He's highlighting in this book that we're a kingdom of priests, so all of us are, are called into this role. But with the fellowship and the peace offerings, you actually, after the altar, they would, they would cook this entire thing. You were supposed to kill, by the way, for those of you that are tending towards veganism, all right? You're supposed to kill a big cow and eat it with your family. Imagine how awesome that would be. You couldn't leave until everybody's there. And the priests were asked to come in. This whole entire fellowship offering, you were praising God that you had peace with him and you would celebrate by having this great big meal and everybody would sit down to it. And they're saying, well, there's a part of this old uh, relationships that we wish we still had. He says, still fill your heart with praise. Have meals with each other, celebrate. But you don't need a sacrifice to do it. The sacrifices have already been taken care of. Everything that you need to be connected with God and to be right with each other has been taken care of in Jesus Christ. Amen? So he says, grab with your leaders, honor them, but celebrate with them. Spend time praising God. You need to reflect on their testimony. Three words here, reflect, respect, and rejoice. Now, if you reflect on their testimony, testimony in their testing, you're also going to reflect on who they are. Uh, somebody asked me the other day, what's your life verse in ministry? Here it is. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling because there's not many wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He has chosen what is weak to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. I have a 1 Corinthians one twenty six ministry, all right? You guys have a cross-eyed redneck for a pastor. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> that gets the amen. I'll remember that in the future. 
Why should you rejoice over that? Because literally the only reason that everybody's here is because the spirit of God moves in his people, amen, through his word. He's not using us because we're significant. He's using his word because all we can do is read it and get out of the way. He's filling you because you are responding to the word. He loves you. There's an amazing paper that was written a while ago. It impacted our culture for a season. It was called The Butterfly Effect. 1961, meteorologist Edward Lorenz developed a computer program to predict weather patterns. He made a mistake, though. He would put in this factor, a calculation that was supposed to be a massive number that was in there. But accidentally, he had put in 0.506. So a little wind goes off someplace in Africa. He figured uh, that the little thousandth of a percent would be irrelevant in his equations. Later in the day, he restarted the program and found a radically different prediction in weather patterns. And he produced a paper basically saying, I don't know if you understand this, but little tiny things here can make big problems on another continent. One of his colleagues said, are you telling me that if a seagull uh, flips his wing the wrong way, that I can create a tornado in Texas? And he says, it seems from the calculations that could be true. So he wrote one. Does the flap of a butterfly's wing in Brazil set off a tornado in Texas? <laughs> Published in 1963, wins all kinds of awards all the way up till uh, 1991. But the idea is that one small little factor can have an amazing effect. When we look around the world, this is what's going to happen. Someday we're all going to register in front of the living God. We're going to stand in front of him. And he's not going to pull somebody up and say, you know what? I literally would not have been able to have success on earth if it wasn't for you. Do you know that? He's not going to say that to anyone. For sure, nobody here, okay? <laughs> look to the right and the left just real quick and just say, it's not you. <laughs> All right? The butterfly effect, here's what could happen though. Do you know that your one act of faithfulness can transform a life? We've heard those stories. I just heard a yes from somebody who is impacted by an act of faithfulness in our congregation when he gets out of prison and his life is completely transformed. You wanna know what's happened from that? Our entire congregation gets impacted by the fact that sometimes we have attitudes we should not have towards people who are walking in here. That little tiny effect of you being faithful and receiving somebody who you do not know and you don't understand their situation, but you love them because of the living God. Your heart should be filled with praise because our entire church is filled with broken people saved by grace who accept one another. Amen? Yeah. When we praise him together, we don't fall apart. Uh, the cheesy phrases are free. Third thing, and I, and I have to fly here. Are you a blessing to those who lead you? <laughs> now, it falls to me to preach this verse. I'm sorry, but I have to do it. Verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them since they watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Uh, job title, right there. Uh, they have to give. Everyone who preaches the word has to give an account to the living God for what they said he meant. I want you to hear this. There's a lot of people 
who are trying to grab what other people want them to say, and they try to find a verse and stick some significance to it, that's a failure. They're going to stand in front of God someday, and he's going to say, I wrote these things. I wanted them to get this point. This is what you said. They're going to have to give an account, and this is what they did. Those leaders are going to have to give an account. The author here says, that's for them, but he says, let them do this with joy and not with grief. That would be unprofitable for you. Literally, let them be happy to see you. Greek word, don't let them huff and roll their eyes, okay? If they see you coming, don't go, okay, Lord, give me strength. Context with godly leaders here is they love you if they're godly, but they also, if they're godly, have to say some hard things. This morning's no different. The three words I had underneath this here, uh, refrain from being a grief bringer. Remain, stay in place when it's hard. And it should be three R's, right, because of alliteration, but it's not. Refrain, remain, and don't be a pain. (laughs) Can you handle that? Not with grief. I want you to hear something. And... uh, I want you to know that right now in our presence, I have a friend I'm trying not to make eye contact with that's sitting in our auditorium. Another local pastor who is loved by God and who also has had hard times. This is what I want you to hear. This last Easter, man, it breaks my heart. There's a new pastor in town and he's following a guy who was a champion of many years. And he's just trying to lead a congregation. He's stepping into a new situation, some of you know him and I know this is the case. And on Easter Sunday, by God's grace, 12 people gave their life to Jesus at their church. Isn't that awesome? Brand new Easter, the first time doing that, I mean, an amazing thing. But on that same Easter, in between first and second service, there was a concerted effort to get at this guy because changes have started to happen and not all of them have been in other people's eyes positive. And by the way, I think even he would agree. But this man, a man of faith, a godly man, received 15, 16 texts, sign of a concerted effort from other people that had left that congregation, they had gone to other churches, they took pictures of what was happening in that auditorium, they sent those pictures to him and says, this is what ought to be happening in a church. They sent that to him on the day that he's supposed to be preaching the word. Now here's why I say this to you with such solemnness. One of those pictures is from our auditorium. So here's what I want you to hear. I want you to hear this thoughtfully. God doesn't condone that. Bitterness, being bothered, blaming, that does not help the kingdom of God. It will not lead to blessing for you and it will not stay here. Amen? Amen. So here's the thing I want you to understand. It is possible for you to be called from another place, but if you are called, You are called to join a work and be active in that role, okay? You are not called to throw darts. We are not here ever to enjoy the downfall of a servant of God. You are to pray for them, lift them up, 
Because these are people who at one time heard the call of God and said, this is where I want to go. But remember, there's not many wise, there's not many noble. The foolish are chosen to shame the wise. They're going to make mistakes. If they're making mistakes that are sin, call it out. But if it's just preference, you better not be found throwing darts because that's the enemy's job. Amen? Now I know, yeah, okay. When I was thinking about this, I was just reminded of something. Uh, my mom, my mom is a better cook than your mom. Okay? She just is. She taught home ec. She can cook anything. We had uh, meat all the time at the house. She could cook any kind of meat. She would uh, do baking. Uh, there were always treats there. We used to think that pie was actually one of the things you had for breakfast because it was left over from the night before. Pie, cinnamon rolls. We would go fishing and everybody had their own plate of cinnamon rolls to go fishing so we wouldn't fight. She could cook. We were round. It was a blessing. But there's a moment that happened just recently in the home where a bunch of other young gals come over to the house and my mom, who's just cooked for years, just knows what goes into making bread, right? And so they, they said, hey, we, we found these things. We've been YouTubing, making sourdough. So she said, well, let's have a little bake-off, okay? And so she puts together her ingredients. They put together their ingredients and they're following all the little measurements and everything. She's like, oh, that's cute. They got to measure. I'm just like, splash and dink and... Sprinkle, you know, birds are helping put stuff in. <laughs> they get done at the end of that little bake-off. And what ends up happening? Their bread is way better than hers. She did not make a great loaf of sourdough. She'd forgotten some of the basics in that moment, just thought that she could kind of freewheel it. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think that Aaron and I just left the family? You know what? She made a bad meal. I'm out. <laughs> YouTube's where it's at. I'm just going to watch how to cook online. Getting a little too close to home. Here's what I want you to think. One bad meal. A couple bad decisions. My mom is an amazing cook. She's family. Do you walk out on family because you had a bad meal? Do you walk out on family because... They've done something one day. They had a bad mood, irritable moment, forgot to do a chore. Not if you're family. We are called the family of God. Amen? And we better love each other like that. Grace is required. Openness is required. If you're irritated, if something happens up here that does not come from the book, you better bring it up because we're family. But you also ought to get rid of that thin skin. You got to get rid of that quick irritation. You got to get rid of that opinion that just violates and irritates and says, I can't do this. Why? Because we're family. The church is a family. Uh, final thoughts here. I got to land this plane. Verse 18, look at what it says. Pray for us, for we are convinced we have a clear conscience, wanting to conduct ourselves honorably in everything. Remember, he's not just summing up this chapter, he's summing up the book. And this is what I would have you wrap your mind around. Good conduct and godly conviction will leave you with a clear conscience. You want to sleep well at night? You listen to what God says, you do what he says, you're going to sleep well, okay? People attacking you won't matter. I've been following the Lord, I know he's happy with me. I know I'm right with the people 
who get it, I'm going to sleep well tonight. Clear conscience helps you when you're driving along. A clear conscience uh, doesn't leave you tapping the brakes every time you see somebody with lights on top of their roof, right? A clear conscience doesn't make you turn around and say, it wasn't me when somebody's coming up behind you. Clear conscience makes you not only not worry about what might be following you, it helps you get your head up and look at the other people so you can do ministry. Good conduct and godly conviction will leave you with a clear conscience. And the final thing, and this comes from the book as a whole, truth has consequences. Truth has consequences. It's not only in this chapter as he is walking through. Uh, Pete said it very well. This is like uh, when he and his wife are getting ready to go away and they gather the kids. They're not giving them new instructions. They're just reminding them this is the standard you're supposed to live up to. Um, but truth has consequences. All the way through this book, he's been highlighting the power of Jesus Christ, who he is, that if you would follow him, you'll be set free, that he is the answer, the fulfillment of all of those Old Testament prophecies, that he is all that you need. He is your savior, but also he is right with you right now. He is your guide, the only high priest that you will ever need, Jesus Christ. You don't need anything more. You don't need another sacrifice. You only need him. I can remember a couple of times that I ran headlong into truth. There was a moment, I remember actually the smell of the, the logs on the outside of the building. I remember uh, coming home um, from school and I was elected to drive this gal, Christina, to her house. Well, elected by choice because I'd been dating her. <laughs> I remember when she told me these words, this is truth that has impacted my life for the rest of my days, all right? 1989. She told me she loves me. Oh, yeah. No, it happened. She did. <laughs> There's no contract here, folks. She said that in the beginning, and she's been paying for it ever since. She said, I love you, and uh, that truth has deeply impacted my life. I remember hearing some other words from a doctor, also truth, also had a great um, impact. You have cancer. Two truths, both dramatically impact my life, but in radically different ways. I want you to hear this. Truth doesn't impact your life only in happy ways. If you're going through and all of your devotional thoughts are only joy and only happiness, and I only want you to tell me things that make me feel good, you're not looking at truth, all right? You're looking for syrup. You're looking for the candy, you're looking for the coding. You're not looking for truth. Truth has consequences. And in this book, he says, the truth is Jesus Christ. And that may mean you're at odds with the culture, at odds with the people around you, but you'll be right with the living God and he will see you home. Amen? So the truth has consequences. I have a little video here that I want us just to pay attention to very quickly that helps wrap up what is the truth. I think it sums up what has been taught in the book of Hebrews but also what we value as believers. Let's watch this and we'll make one final point. We believe that God is the good and eternal creator of all things, seen and unseen, and that he has spoken authoritatively to us through his written word. We believe that every single human being is made by God and for God and therefore is important to God, no exceptions. 
We also believe that every human being is sinful and broken, that even the best of us have deep-rooted evil in our hearts that comes out in all sorts of ugly ways in our actions, in our words, in our attitudes, no exceptions there either. We also believe that God was unwilling to let our sins have the final say over our eternity. And so he became a man in the person of Jesus Christ to save us and to open the eyes of our darkened hearts. We believe that Jesus didn't just perform miracles and love people and live a sinless life. And he didn't even just die on the cross, but actually three days later, he literally and physically rose from the dead to prove his power over sin and death and hell and to offer to every single person in this room eternal life and the forgiveness of sins. That's what we believe. We believe that through Jesus, yes, we get heaven later. But right now, we get power and purpose and comfort and guidance and a family of faith to lean on for the rest of our life, starting right now. You cannot earn the grace of God by your good works and you cannot lose it because of your bad ones. Otherwise, it would not be grace. No one is so good they don't need grace. No one is so bad they can't have it. But even in this very moment, the arms of Jesus Christ, the resurrected King, are open to you. For anyone who would reach up to him and stand on his gospel. That's what we believe. I'm gonna read this final statement out of the book as a prayer, not just that's written here, but over us. It says this, now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with everything good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. In your own Bibles, I want you to underline that word equip. It just means this. It means that that same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, we sing a song along this line, that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the power that is in you to make you capable of following him. He is going to do everything. The picture that's in my mind is this. There's a great big boat. It's filled with all of the goods, all of the supplies and everything. You're walking along on the edge of... uh, the, the seashore and Jesus Christ reaching out and he's looking at you and it says, now may he do this. It implies in your mind, oh, it, uh, may, maybe he's gonna do it or it's a possibility, but this is actually the picture that's given. Everything is necessary for the journey right here and Jesus is saying, come with me. I'll see you there. I will see you home. You say, well, I don't have the clothing for it. I got all the clothing. I'll, just come with me. I'll see you home. But I... Uh, I didn't bring any food. I don't have my snacks. I got all your snacks. I got everything that you need. Well, I don't know where we're going. I like to plan my trips. I'm taking care of the itinerary. He just says, I'll see you home. And he's reaching his hand out. Here's the question. Are you so worried about secondary things that you're not grabbing on to this grace gift from Jesus Christ where he says, I not only saved you, I'm gonna walk you through the rest of your days. Will you walk with me? 
The invitation of the book of Hebrews is, don't just know him theologically, don't just know some facts. Let's get in the boat together and take the journey because he'll see us home. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we ask you to help us to not only see those things in scripture, but to believe them. And I pray, Father, if there are any this morning who are under conviction, they say, you know what, I see those things. I know that... The Spirit right now is pressing on me. I gotta let go of some things or I gotta apologize for some things or I gotta move away from some things. Father, we know according to these things that we've been studying, we're saved. That conviction is coming from a Father who is saying, let me clean you up so that you can represent me well, not so that we can be saved. We thank you for eternal security. We thank you also for the fact that the journey is not over. We don't just get saved and then we wait. We get saved and you call us into a life as transformed individuals that puts Jesus on display. Help us to do that. Help us to live those things out. Help us, Father, to trust Jesus to see us safely home. And we pray that you would do all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.